Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. Uh, we'd love it if you took out one of those cards that you see in front of you and fill that out. And you could give that to me in the back of the auditorium after service is over. Or there are two black boxes there that you can place that in. That's just so if you are visiting, we can get to know you and you can get to know us and we can express our appreciation for you being here uh, this morning. Just want to take a brief moment and uh, say on behalf of uh, my family, thank you so much uh, for the kindness that you've expressed in the, the birth of uh, our, our baby girl. Mama and baby are healthy, uh, baby's growing, and mama's doing well. Uh, and uh, just wanted to thank uh, each and every one of you for all of your kindness. Highland Heights is truly a great place to be. Human beings uh, are amazing when you really think about it, the abilities that we have. We have a unique ability, unlike any other creature in the created order, to take disordered things and transform them into a state of order and structure and beauty. And when we do so, it reveals something glorious that's embedded within our human nature. You can travel throughout the world and see all kinds of grand sites that are created by human beings. You can see the ingenuity of humans at every corner of the globe, in every culture. When you go to Rome and behold the great Colosseum, to the Taj Mahal in India, to the Great Wall in China, uh, to the pyramids at Giza in Egypt, and to the, uh, the Christ the Redeemer statue in Brazil. Human beings have the capability of extraordinary creativity. And this isn't just by accident, this creativity, this ingenuity that we have within us. Our sense of creativity comes from God, who is extraordinarily creative himself. Notice with me the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, what did God do? God created the heavens and the earth. In the very beginning, the Bible says, God created. The very first verse and the very first verb of the Bible illuminates the nature of God as a God who takes formless and void matter and transforms it into something grand and glorious. That's what the creation narrative is all about. God turning chaos into order and structure and beauty a kind of beauty that, that, that takes your breath away. And when you behold and, and see it in all of its grandeur, it makes you say, wow, God is good. And as we look closely at the creation story, we can see that one of God's distinct creations, which highlights his creative ability in a way that surpasses the rest of the created order is the unique beauty of human beings, created male and female. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, as we read last time in our series, verse 26 of chapter 1 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. The God that's revealed in the Bible, the God that manifests himself in Scripture, is the farthest thing from bland and boring. God is not bland and boring, and we see that on the very first page of the Bible. He's revealed as a God who loves beautiful, unique diversity. He loves creativity and beauty, and one of the primary ways that his creativity is revealed is through man and woman, male and female, manhood and womanhood, which carry some similarities, manhood and womanhood, but carry distinct differences from one another at the same time, and these differences of both male and female, when they're embraced and when they're expressed, they give something to the other that satisfies the deepest kind of longing and need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. God created them male and female. We can see that in the very beginning of the Bible, the, 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 the Scripture invites us to ponder the nature of both man and woman, their, their distinctiveness, and how their distinctiveness complements one another, complements each other in a way that brings about satisfaction and that glorifies the creativity of God. Notice with me what the proverb writer says in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 through 19. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 through 19. The proverb writer in verse 18 says, There are three things that are too wonderful for me, four that I don't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship in the sea, and the way of a man with a woman. Now, that's an ancient Hebrew poetic way of saying God's design of male and female is so amazing that it's difficult for me to, to understand it and comprehend it. They fit together, male and female, so perfectly in essence, he's saying, I can see the creativity, the beauty, and the wonder of God when I look at the design of man and woman, male and female. The Bible's claim is that God is seen as grand and glorious and creative through the complementary distinctiveness of both man and woman. And when men and women embrace their God-designed, God-created, God-ordained roles, it leads to the deepest kind of satisfaction that we were created for, that we were created to experience, and ultimately God's glorification and exaltation. That's the Garden of Eden. 
That's the Eden ideal. When men embrace their God-designed manhood, then it's intended to bring about the greatest satisfaction for both men and women. And likewise, when women embrace their God-designed womanhood, then it's intended to bring about the greatest satisfaction for both women and men, all to the glory and exaltation of God. This is the worldview that the Bible invites you to embrace and uphold and to cherish. You were created not for yourself. You don't call the shots and design yourself. You were created for God to display His beauty, His glory, and His creativity, which brings about a kind of joy that satisfies to the deepest level of our human souls. When men embrace their God-designed manhood, God is seen in the world as He is, extraordinary, extraordinarily beautiful and unique above all else. And likewise, at the same time, when women embrace their God-designed womanhood, God is seen as He is, astoundingly astoundingly majestic and creative beyond that of any other. That's the worldview of the Bible. However, that's not the worldview that we're trained to embrace in our world today. The worldview that we're trained to embrace and that's being promoted to you through every kind of media outlet imaginable is this. My life exists so that I may reach maximum personal happiness. And God exists to help me reach that. But when God hinders me from reaching that, then God defeats His purpose and should be replaced with another idea of God, which helps me to reach maximum personal happiness by my own definition and by my own standard. That's the worldview that's being promoted to you, if you realize it or not, in various ways, in a multitude of ways. And this worldview that we are being trained to embrace, it makes it perfectly acceptable to devalue undermine and subvert and replace God's design of manhood and womanhood. And that's exactly what's happening today. Our culture says that there's no real difference between men and between women. There, there are no real distinctions between male and female. So if you're born a girl, then it's perfectly acceptable for you to become a boy if you so desire. And likewise, if you're, if you're born a boy, then it's perfectly acceptable for you to become a girl if you so desire. Because if you desire it, because if it's in your heart, it's a part of you, and it can't possibly be wrong. But brothers and sisters, when men, and here's the biblical truth, When men do not embrace their God-designed roles 
And when women do not embrace their God-designed roles, it negatively affects every part of life. It's a slap in the face to God's creativity and beauty, and it causes us to fail to fulfill the very purpose that we were created for, to reflect the beauty and glory of God. One Christian author states this, He writes and says, The consequence of our culture's depreciation and confusion of male and female is not a free and happy harmony among gender-free persons, but rather more divorce, more homosexuality, more sexual abuse, more promiscuity, more social isolation and awkwardness, and more emotional distress and suicide that come with a loss of God-given identity. Now, if you've noticed, our series uh, that we began two weeks ago is Fortify the Home. So what in the world, all that that I just said, what does that have to do with the home? Brothers and sisters, it has everything to do with the home. When boys are not trained to be men who lead, protect, and provide with the kind of spirit of fierce love for God and others by God's design, what do we do? We end up raising a generation of self-centered pleasure seekers that neglect responsibility and allow the abuse of the weak. And likewise, when girls are not trained to be women who support, nurture, and affirm leadership from worthy men with a courageous spirit by God's design, we inevitably raise up a generation of those who gladly and freely subvert God's design and exalt themselves to a place that they were never intended to be, which leads to dissatisfaction and discontentment, and ultimately God is not glorified. So, to fortify our homes, and here's my thesis statement, if you will, to fortify our homes, we must recover, we must model, we must promote a biblical vision of manhood and womanhood. To fortify our homes, we must recover, model, and promote what the Bible says it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. We need to have a vision of what it means to be a man. And we need to have a biblical vision of what it means to be a woman informed by God's Word. We need to model that vision in our lives, to our families, to our home, and promote that to our children so that we raise up God image bearers, image bearers of God who reflect the glory of Almighty God. So, within the next couple of sermons, uh, what we're going to do, what I'm going to attempt to do anyway, uh, is present the core of what it means for a man to embrace his God-designed role in the context of the home. 
and what it means for a woman to embrace her God-designed role in the context of the home. And we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks how when both men and women recover, model, and promote this kind of a biblical vision, it leads to God's exaltation. It leads to the deepest kind of satisfaction and fulfillment that you were created to experience when we embody a God-centered vision of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Now, I realize right off the bat that that's, that's a pretty tall order. <laughs> uh, that's uh, very difficult to, to do. So my, my goal in this uh, over the next few weeks, um, it isn't to be completely comprehensive. Uh, I'm not going to go over every single thing uh, that it means to well, what it means to be a man and, and what it means uh, to be a woman. But my goal, rather, is to communicate the heart, the heart, the core of what the Bible teaches us of mature masculinity and mature femininity in the context of the home. So that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. And this morning, for the time that we have left, uh, I want to begin with a biblical vision of manhood. What does it mean to be a man in the context of the home? What are the roles that God has created men to embrace and to embody? What's the heart of biblical masculinity? in the context of the home? What should a godly man be striving to embody? And what are the basic principles of manhood that he should be teaching uh, to and promoting to his children? Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. As Reed read for us a moment ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul writes and says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. When Paul says here to act like men, he means something different. And you can see this in more clearly in the original Greek, he means something different than act like a woman or act like women. Un unlike English, there is actually a word in the original Greek that Paul uses here. Uh, this, this is the word that's being communicated, which communicates a distinction between the way of a man and the way of a woman. Now, this isn't intended at all to be derogatory to either sex in any way. It's simply a way to identify that there is a fundamental difference between men and women. Being a man fundamentally is different than being a woman. Now, that doesn't mean that male traits are exclusively tied to men 
and, and female traits are exclusively tied to women. In, in other words, sometimes men will display traits that are more feminine, and women will display traits that are more masculine, which is perfectly legitimate according to God's design. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about personality here, but fundamentally there are differences between the essence of manhood and the essence of womanhood. So our focus in the rest of this lesson, and we're going to pick up with a part two, uh, Lord willing, next time of the biblical vision of, of manhood, uh, but what we're going to do very briefly uh, for the few minutes that we have left is to look at traits that are generally associated with manhood so that we know, so that, so that men of the faith know what it is that they are aiming for. We're going to talk about the first one this morning, and that is uh, the first uh, trait that you see on the screen, benevolent leadership. Benevolent leadership. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23. Verse 23 says, Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now remember that last time in, in, our, uh, in our discussion, we, we talked about how Adam named the woman uh, in, in this passage, which, which is an ancient Hebrew way of signifying headship. Uh, a way of signifying leadership. Uh, we talked about how both the man and the woman possess equal value as image bearers of God, but the structure that God establishes in the beginning is that the man is the head of his wife. He is the leader in the relationship, and the manner in which he leads is to be characterized by benevolence. The man, and Paul talks about this more in Ephesians chapter 5, the man is a servant leader, a benevolent leader who leads his wife and his family so that they might be lifted up and blessed. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Jesus Christ is a benevolent leader to His church, over His church. He nurtures His church. He nurtures her. He tends to her. He serves her so that she may receive a salvation and intimacy with God that's unmatched by any other blessing that could possibly be experienced within the world. The essence of manhood in the context of the home is benevolent leadership patterned after how Christ benevolently leads his church. Now I want to ask, what does this benevolent leadership look like more specifically? Let's look at four things for the remainder of our time, uh, what this kind of benevolent leadership looks like specifically. Number one, mature masculinity bears primary responsibility in the home. Mature masculinity bears primary responsibility in the home. 
I want to again direct your attention to the, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. This is after Adam and Eve had sinned, God's walking in the garden in the cool of the, cool of the day, and this is what happens in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? He calls to the man. After Adam and Eve had sinned, God calls to Adam. He calls to the man to give account. He's basically asking, um, where's the man of the house here? Where's the head? Where's the leader in this relationship so that he can explain their actions? Because the bulk of the responsibility within the relationship rests upon the man's shoulders. Uh, also notice with me in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, and this is interesting, through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, wait, 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 wait a second here. <laughs> we know that that, that, that that didn't happen, right? It was Eve that sinned first, right? Wasn't it? Eve was the one that was deceived first. Uh, Eve, Eve sinned first. Uh, di didn't, I mean, didn't she bring sin into the world by listening to the lie of the serpent? How does this make sense? How do we, uh, how, how do we make this jive together? Romans chapter 5 and Genesis chapter 3. It makes sense. And here's a major biblical principle that's being communicated. It makes sense... Because the primary responsibility, biblically, is laid upon the man in the home. Through one man, sin came into the world. Christian psychologist and counselor James Dobson, he was the founder of Focus on the Family, he said this, A Christian man is obligated to lead his family to the best of his ability, if his family has purchased too many items on credit, then the financial crush is ultimately his fault. If the family never reads the Bible or seldom goes to church on Sunday, God holds the man to blame. If the children are disrespectful and disobedient, the primary responsibility lies with the father, not his wife. In my view, he says, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the mere acquisition of money. Brothers and sisters, I say this humbly and tenderly. Our culture today is raising up a generation of men who have no sense of responsibility within the home. The man, as benevolent leader of the home, is lost to our culture and our society today. And we feel this. We feel the shockwaves of this. We feel the effects of this, this ideology even within the church today. Men, you need to hear this. I need to hear this. You are at the helm of your family. A biblical vision of manhood places the primary responsibility of the family's spiritual health 
on your shoulders. If, if you place that burden of leadership on your wife's shoulders, then you are not living according to the design that God established in the very beginning. If family prayer and devotional time is neglected, men, men of the house, it's your fault. If, if your family is seldom brought to church to hear the blessed words of God preached, husbands, men, it's your fault. If, if there's no growing attitude of passion to serve Jesus and be like Jesus in your home, there's no kind of advancement or, or growth or cultivation or, or desire that's growing. Men, what are you doing? It's your fault. Brothers and sisters, we don't need cowardly men in the church today. Too much is at stake. We need valiant men who take responsibility and courageously lead their families to the feet of Jesus. Mature masculinity, as we uncover, recover a biblical vision of what it means to be a man in the context of the home, a man is one who sees that responsibility, who accepts it and takes it with the utmost seriousness. Mature masculinity bears primary responsibility in the home. Now, secondly, looking at a biblical vision of uh, masculinity and benevolent leadership, mature masculinity does not express its strength through the demand to be served, but through the willingness to sacrifice for the good of the home. And, of course, no one shows us what it looks like to be a man more clearly than Jesus Christ. The primary way that, that Jesus expressed strength was through giving himself up, sacrificing himself, emptying himself for those that were weaker than him. In John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Mature masculinity in a biblical vision of manhood, it doesn't, it doesn't express strength through the demand to be served. It doesn't say, I'm the man of the house, I'm the leader here, I'm the dominant one, I'm the most uh, intelligent one in this family, I exist to be served. But mature masculinity is expressed through a willingness to sacrifice for the good of the whole as patterned after Jesus. Brothers, that's what it means to be a man according to God's design, to sacrifice for the good of my family and to do whatever it takes to lead them to a place of blessing and spiritual enrichment and fulfillment. Uh, thirdly, this morning... Mature masculinity does not assume superiority over the wife, but leans upon her strengths 
to enhance its leadership in the home. I'll say it bluntly. Men, you're crazy if you don't listen to your wife. (laughs) You are crazy if you do not listen to your wife. (laughs) Women have this incredible ability to attain and display magnificent, glorious wisdom. And what mature masculinity is, what a biblical vision of manhood is, it realizes that it needs help. It needs support to lead effectively. It asks its, it asks its wife, his wife. It goes to her for counsel, um, all being, being the leader at the same time, but leaning upon her strengths. That's a sign of mature masculinity. And then lastly this morning, we've got to wrap up. Mature masculinity recognizes that godly leadership requires continual repentance and humility. Mature masculinity recognizes that godly leadership in the context of the home requires continual repentance and humility. A man is one who leans upon the grace of God, who sees God's salvation as so magnificent and so grand and so powerful that it's strong enough to help him, to aid him, to cover his failures. A mature man is one who realizes that he's not going to do everything perfectly. And that's, that's, that's a fact, men. We're not going to do everything perfectly in the context of our home. He recognizes that he's going to fail at, at, at times, but a man is one that lives with this spirit that, that continuously returns to the Lord, keeps drawing back to him toward the heart of God, lives with a spirit of continual submission and repentance and humility and a desire to become more than what he is currently. A man is one who recognizes how powerful the grace of the Almighty God is and leans upon Him with a spirit of repentance and humility and allow God to guide him each step of the way. Now, we'll pick up there next time. Uh, We'll look at uh, those two other traits, Lord willing, in our next sermon. But when we look at this biblical vision of manhood and womanhood, we can see that, that doing things God's way, as, as is so often said um, today, doing things God's way, going by His Word, it's not oppressive. It's not unfair for anyone, for both men and women, but doing things God's way, embracing God's designed roles, it's, in- it's intended to bring about a tremendous blessing and God's glorification to the world. So if we want to be a people that fortify our homes, we have to dedicate ourselves to recovering this biblical vision, modeling it in our homes for our children to see and promoting it to the next generation. This morning, uh, if you're subject to the invitation, the invitation is open to you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you have uh, an opportunity right now to believe on him, to repent of your sins. You can come forward this morning. We're going to sing a, a song here in a few moments, and I'm going to stand up here. Another elder is going to stand on the other side of me. And if you know that you need Jesus more than anything this morning, we invite you to, you can come forward and talk to us and, and confess your faith in Jesus. And if you haven't been, you can be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and begin a relationship with Jesus. This morning, if you have any need, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?